we're so busy doing whatever we're doing these days that it's rare, let's say, that people really take quality time to reflect. And to me, that's where most of the learning is. Welcome, everyone, to Culture by Design. I'm so excited to have with me today Gary Brown, coming to us from London. Are you in London, Gary? Just outside London, Tim, just outside. Yeah. Gary is the head of learning and development at Nestle in the UK and Ireland. Gary, welcome to the podcast. So, so glad to have you here. Thanks, Tim. It's great to be here. I want to begin and I want to read an intro and a little bit of a bio about Gary, and it's in first person. Gary was uh, born in London, middle son of three to Irish immigrants who worked in the pub trade for 30 years. Now that's fascinating in and of itself. Growing up in this environment, I was interacting with all sorts of people from all walks of life and in hindsight, this is where I think I developed a real interest in human behavior, why we do what we do. I had a fairly normal childhood, but didn't really get on well at school. I just wasn't really interested in education and didn't find much that interested me. Gary, were you restless in the chair? If we could go back and, and watch you at school in the classroom, how would you describe yourself? Oh, I think I was that kid that was daydreaming a bit. I was in love with football or soccer, as you guys might call it over there. So that was my kind of escape, I would say. But I, my comment about, you know, not particularly enjoying education was I, I just didn't really find anything that sparked my interest, if I'm honest. Sometimes yeah, I hear those stories about, you know, this teacher inspired me to do X, Y, Z. I guess I just wasn't either interested or awake enough to actually find that spark. That's probably what I mean to. It just didn't light a fire. At least, at least not then. So then you left college and worked in a number of field sales, customer service positions before landing a job at Nestle. Had a great experience working up through supply chain. Interesting. Supply chain to senior leader level before realizing about five years ago that you weren't enjoying that anymore. So tell us a little bit about supply chain and and then the realization that you came to. In my career at Nestle, I think what I found was that in supply chain, I kind of found a place where if you're halfway interested and decent around process and you could interact with people... I think actually you were kind of halfway there to being a decent supply chain individual, if I'm honest. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that because what I found was, and I genuinely would say that I fell into supply chain, you know, as, a, as opposed to it was a destination for me. And I think what I found was, particularly with the people interaction bit, you know, of course, you did need to know a bit about process and all of the millions of different elements of supply chain, which was interesting enough in itself to somebody who didn't know anything about supply chains. But I think the people element really, for all of that process that's involved, it's how you get things done through people. And that's the bit that I really enjoyed. And I kind of found that, you know, even now in hindsight, I, I do link to sort of 
my upbringing and particularly working in a trade, working and growing up in the pub trade where you kind of interact with all those different people. So, yeah, so so that piece about kind of really finding a place where I could develop a career really is what supply chain gave me. And I kind of found that there were a number of opportunities afforded to me by some individuals I was super grateful for. And it enabled me to kind of, you know, for want of a better phrase, rise through the ranks a little bit. So supply chain is all about process, but it's also all about people and your passion connected to the people, not so much the process. And so you came out, you're now head of learning and development. You've been in this role for nearly three years and <laughs> you went back and you're finishing a master's in coaching and behavioral change at Henley Business School. So something ignited you, Gary. Because here you are going back. So can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> it's interesting that. Yeah, because I think um, from a very personal perspective, I think I had a little bit of unfinished business maybe in me around education, schooling. But I think that it came at the right time in my career because as I was making that and very overt career transition into people development, let's call it that, um, I, I always wanted to work in since I kind of realized that, that I wanted to make a change in my career, learning and development was really what I was trying to get into. I had this feeling of a little bit of unfinished business as in, you know, I didn't feel like I'd given my all or kind of even maybe proven to myself a little bit, you know, my potential maybe um, early on in my life around school. So I'd always kind of hankered around going back. But the career transition really helped me because it kind of made, it gave me a reason. That, that's one thing. But it also helped me find a space where, as hard as it's been doing my master's, I've absolutely loved it because I think the the aspects of human behaviour that it brings into play, and in particular how human behaviour like plays out at work, that's really the bit that, that kind of you know ignites the passion in me really. So that that feeling about understanding more about you know why we do what we do, particularly in the workplace, that's the bit that's really my passion now. I would say. Given the experience that you've had, here you are coming back to school and finishing this this program, this degree. What advice would you give others who may be feeling what you felt the first time around? And they're not feeling the passion. They're not feeling the drive. They're not feeling the sustained motivation. What would you say to them? That's a really interesting question because... <laughs> and a topical question because my son's 15 and he's um, at the moment doing in the UK, as we would call it, his first serious exams, his GCSEs. So I find myself in a bizarre situation where I'm kind of telling him all the things that he shouldn't do because I did them, if you see what I mean. But 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 I feel a little bit like, honestly, I think that when you're at school, there's an element of it's just a gateway really is one aspect of it. You know, you, you kind of, you kind of have to do certain exams and get certain grades in order to get to the next thing. And I, th I don't th imagine it's uncommon that people don't really know what they want to do, what their personal purpose is and all of that, that early on in life. So I think that, you know, great for people that do because that's, that's a brilliant place to be, you know, to have an I idea even at that stage, what you want to do with your life profession wise. It's some people do, right? But I, I I would say maybe most people don't. And, and that's been my experience in all honesty. So I think therefore, coming back to your point about advice, I mean, I think it is 
at that early. It's just to recognise that it is important to get a grounding, you know, general grounding in education, but that it is a bit of a gateway. I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? But, you know, how many of us remember algebra, right? And how many of us are using it in our day to day? So I think there's that aspect, Tim. And then as you get a bit kind of older, I think that's for me personally, where the kind of search for your own intrinsic motivation is super important. Because if you can find that, then, you know, and you can align your work towards that, you're going to be, chances are you can be pretty good at it, I would say. Here you are about three years in role as head of learning and development at Nestle UK Ireland. If you step back and you look at that whole experience so far, three years worth, and we are, we, we are going to distill out some, some, some gems from your experience, but as you look at that entire experience now and you kind of take inventory, what's it been like compared to your career before? Is it been a lot different? Would you say it's been exhilarating? Would you say it's been incredibly challenging? How would you characterize it? Super enjoyable is what I would say, first of all. I mean, I think this is a big generalization, but but kind of what I've been doing or how I've been seeing it in my own personal transition is moving from, you know, incredibly operational roles where you've got your head down and you're dealing with the day-to-day and delivery and execution. And even, you know, when I've been doing sort of senior leader roles in that environment, um, you are more concerned with the strategic side of whatever it is that you're looking after, um, but you're still, you know, delivering day in, day out, right? That's that's the kind of bread and butter of, of the role. I think what I find myself now is in a space where it's more about taking a step back and really success looks like helping people to either develop or be better at executing their day-to-day jobs. And so that's really kind of what my me and my team do now. And we, we focus on, you know, our reason for being, if you like, as a learning and development function is we've got to help people to perform, you know, more effectively in their roles, whether that's functional capability, being a better, you know, salesperson or a finance person or whatever it may be but also develop their, you know, we, we sometimes call them soft skills, right? But I think they're actually pretty hard, as in they're pretty hard to acquire, you know, how to how to engage with others, how to, you know, create environments where people feel they can really give their best. So I think that type of work is different, you know, and it takes that move, taking a step back and, and quite often, to be honest, questioning what, what we're doing, you know, are we doing, are we spending our precious time from a learning and development point of view, actually concentrating on the things that will make the biggest difference to our people. So I'd probably say that, you know, it's super interesting because that's kind of what I've come to realise my personal passion's all about. So it's great from that point of view. But but it's also um, what I'm trying to do personally is take the lessons that I've learned from kind of, you know, being in the trenches and understanding how operational teams really work and what you know, what, what some of the frictions can be in an organisation like ours and really try take that into the learning and development space so that I can maybe bring a slightly different perspective, adding to the perspective of my colleagues who've, who've maybe grown up through a more traditional HR route, maybe. Speaking of lessons, let's see if we can harvest your experience a little bit, Gary. For listeners, um, just know I, I asked Gary to distill out at least three 
gems, three just critical findings or insights from his experience and share those with us. So let's jump into that, Gary. Let's jump into to the first one and, and take us through, because this is where, for those of us listening, this is where the return on investment is here, re- return on invested time. Uh, so let's jump in. So I, I guess the first one for me, you know, lessons learned, whatever, is that I've come to realize that we're all a product of our past to some degree. And and, what, and if you want to kind of, we talk a lot about, you know, bringing your best self to work and all that good stuff. I, I think part of that in my experience is that I've come to realize that you, you, we're kind of a product of our past. And actually, if you want to bring your best self to work, you've really got to acknowledge what's shaped you, you know, and what the life lessons are that, that you've learned. Now, for me, I, I'm... I've kind of learned that myself by working on myself over the years. And I think, you know, most of us that do any form of kind of, you know, leadership development, personal development, whatever, um, you know, they, they start to realize and get into, you know, reflective practice and what's shaped me and all that kind of stuff. But one lesson that, I, that or one way that that, that that kind of lesson started to really crystallize for me is that I've been in and around a self-managed leadership program for a good few years now and it's actually the leadership program that gave me the space to be able to think about my own personal transition in career but one part of that that, that's a really interesting exercise actually is uh, a reflective exercise called the lifeline exercise and the idea is that we ask all of the leaders that go on this program to actually draw a lifeline of their own formative life experiences highs and lows you know what what kind of happened through the course of your life um, and there's a dual purpose for that, actually, because part of it is in the shape of this program. It's used as an exercise for a small learning group to form together. So you can imagine if you're sharing some stuff like that about what's happened in your previous life, it's quite a good trust building exercise, right, for a learning group, small group, five, six people to work together. But the other thing that it does is it is it acts as a kind of reflective exercise for leaders to really think about what's brought them to the point that they are at today. And I mean, I've seen it throughout this program several times now where people have gone through this exercise. And and I think what's interesting is that we may think it's super obvious, but we don't actually take a lot of time to think about what's brought us to here. So, you know, and that, and that is right the way back to when we were kids, you know, our upbringing, what values did you kind of assimilate from that experience that are still kind of driving your unconscious behavior today so 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 that's my experience Tim to be honest in terms of why I talk about you know being a product of your past and why um acknowledging it is important because it drives a lot of your behavior today if that makes sense so when you do that is it is it like a deep introspection do you reflect on your acquired socialization and try to become more self-aware of where you came from and why you are the way you are now it's exactly that i mean as i said it's it, it is a dual purpose on this particular program because it it functions in terms of helping the group to bond by understanding more about each other's past um lived experiences but you know for the individual it's basically about really examining what's happened to them um, and we, and like you know, again, I may be saying sounding like I'm stating the bl- the blinding obvious here, but you know, it's about really thinking about those highs and lows in a way that is 
asking them to think about, well, well, so what? What does it mean to the way that you behave today, particularly with a leadership lens, because this is a, a leadership program at the end of the day. But what it acknowledges is the kind of, you know, the holistic nature, right? We're all, we're all humans, right? So it's not just, you know, you've got your work experience and you've got your home experience. These things all interact. And, you know, I'm a student of coaching and I, and I love, you know, psychodynamic stuff, which is all about, basically acknowledging exactly what we're describing which is you know your, your unconscious behavior is quite often driven by what you've experienced in the past so you know that could be outside of work it could be the type of upbringing that you had as i said earlier the values that you assimilated they could be really serving you well as a leader or they could be getting in your way so the idea here really is to you know, really unpack that a little bit and think about, you know, actually, is my behavior in certain situations as a leader, even at work, actually driven by something that happened to me a long time ago? And what am I going to do with that? You know, is that is it serving me well or is it not? You know, and if not, then I can start the journey, if you like, around behavioral change for me as a leader based on a bit more knowledge about why I might be behaving in certain ways, perhaps. So we've got to take what's unconscious and make as much of it conscious as we can. And we need to catapult self-awareness. Do you see the connection as you're working with all these leaders, Gary? Do you see the connection between their level of self-awareness and their effectiveness? Do you see a correlation there overall? You've got three years of, of kind of time series data immersed in this organization. So would you draw that conclusion? Yeah, I, th I think, I mean, look, everybody's an individual, right? So so I think that um, how people react to, to those sorts of exercises is, of course, incredibly individual. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, that's really what an exercise like that is trying to do, is, as you rightly say, Tim, is kind of, you know, acknowledge that there are unconscious, unconscious forces that drive your behavior. And you try and shed a bit of light on them, right? And then you try and understand a little bit, you know, okay, so that's serving me well, that's not, what am I going to try and do? Now, you know, in this particular example, we, we use a lot of other input, you know, situational leadership, diagnostics and stuff, which gives you a sense of what's my preferred leadership style? Am I very, you know, cooperative or am I very directive or whatever? So, so the idea here is that there is a richness of input coming in to a program like that. But this particular exercise you know, going back to my lessons learned, you know, I actually think that's one of the most effective things that you can do because it's your lived experience. You know, how many of us really kind of, you can do all the diagnostics we want and it will tell you things that, you know, absolutely will help you raise your self-awareness about the way that you carry yourself as a leader. But I think an exercise like that in my experience is, is more about what you're bringing to the table as a leader that's actually rooted in your life experience, if that makes sense. If we don't take some time and do that kind of systematically and formally, chances are we're, many of us won't do it at all to go back and say, okay, here are some formative experiences in my life and we're going to deconstruct these and we're going to try to understand these so that I can bring my self-awareness to another level. I love that. So that's been high impact. Um, let's go to the next lessons learned. So, I mean, I, I guess my, my my next one is it's all about inclusive leadership, actually. And I guess to summarize the sort of lesson, I think it's that inclusive leadership is both the right thing to do from a human perspective, 
but it's also business critical in the modern era, right? And let me just explain what I mean by that. I think inclusive leadership, first of all, what I mean by the term is um, is two things, really. It's an acknowledgement that difference and diversity is good as opposed to, you know, homogenous teams and then we all think the same group think and all that. And once you have that, difference and diversity in the team it's creating the right environment where you can actually harness it so that's what i mean by by inclusive leadership those those kind of two things and i think it's the right thing to do because you know purely from a human perspective you know work is part of the you know the intrinsic human experience isn't it right so you know who wants to come to a place where they hate their job right so from the right thing to do point of view I think that it is important for us to make sure that we're creating environments where people actually want to come to work. And that links obviously to it being a, a business critical, because I think, you know, there's, I mean, there's so much out there research wise that will tell you this, but basically teams that have a broad, you know, cognitive diversity that really harness it outperform other teams. That's just basically what all the research says. So, so I think it's a, fascinating and to me it's kind of like the modern leadership challenge this because i think that and i can speak from my own experience i think that it's easy to grow up as a leader leading teams of a certain type partly you know that could be because your organization you know recruits a certain type and you're kind of as a leader you grow up through that organization you kind of fall into that trap of oh yeah this is a, a nestle person or whatever it might be you know so I think that there's there's that aspect of it. And what becomes hard, I think, for leaders is that as, as all of this talk around inclusion and belonging and diversity explodes, I think there's a, there's a lot of leaders, I think, um, and I put myself in this category, where they're having to really think about how you've led in the past and how you need to change some of your like everyday behaviour in order to really lean into that and make sure that you really are welcoming difference and diversity rather than recruiting a type for example conscious or unconscious as some of that behavior may be and also really then think about that that's that's the different side as i've said but then think about the environment that you're creating right and you know how safe and psychological safety massively falls into this as i think is a huge part of it you know are we really creating or am i as a leader creating the right environment where all of that difference is really harnessed so yeah i think that's the that's been my experience and my my kind of you know my own very personal leadership journey is one of questioning my own kind of approach to that and i can think of absolutely times where in the past like you know I've done the wrong things where I've kind of thought about, um, oh yeah, they're, they're a good individual, but I'm not quite sure they'll fit. You know, and I can hear myself saying those things a few years ago. And, and now I think, well, what did I actually mean by that? So there's a real, you know, for, from a live my own kind of life lessons learned or whatever, Tim, I think that's a, an example of where I kind of question my own behavior a little bit with a, with a, with an acknowledgement that, you know, kind of what's got me here is not going to get me, you know, where I need to go in the future, if that makes sense. So this is a, this is a journey of personal self-discovery for each of us, right? But as you look back, was that, was it a gradual process or did you, was there something that prompted 
this this you to cross a threshold of conviction when it comes to inclusive leadership? How, how did you get there? Because what you're saying is, I'm in a different place than I was in terms of my commitment, my belief, my conviction about inclusive leadership. It's not just the right thing to do. The business case is clearly there as well. How'd you get there? Do you know, I think it was gradual is one thing. I think that, you know, from a very, very personal perspective, I think there was a combination of becoming a more mature leader, which comes some of that through experience, you know, loads of mistakes, making lots. But but I think that um, it's a combination of that and having the right reflection around that as in making sense of it and realizing that some of that wasn't right and i need to think about you know as well as you know what am i doing well etc so so there's there's a bit about experience and a, a journey of maturing if you like as a leader all around but i think the other side of it probably does come back to education actually you know learning what and being curious about you know what is this whole thing about you know, diversity and inclusion and belonging and what does it all mean? So so kind of really trying to educate myself a little bit proactively about what all of that meant, I would say took me into a space where you start to really see the value and you start to see the potential opportunities from a very personal point of view. But as I stepped into my broader change of um, career, it struck me that that's something that, as I said earlier on, you know, from all of the work that I've been engaged in over the last four or five years, I, it, to me, it, it's the the kind of main leadership challenge of the modern era is how you really develop these skills. So I think that, and, and by the way, you know, I don't think we've, we or I or any, anybody in the spaces that I work in have nailed it. I think it's something that is re- a real challenge and, We'll, we'll get things wrong and you know it's not something that i don't know that when we talk about inclusive leadership in my organization one of the things i think that we we face into is the fact that um sometimes we perhaps want people to get it right 100 percent all of the time and we will lambast them if they don't but but in reality you know people are going to make mistakes around these kind of topics and i think it's about how you have the humility from a, a kind of leadership point of view to realize that and face into it rather than just sort of skate over it and you know and move on um, but also i think it's about how you create the environment where that's that curiosity and having the courage to to try and be more inclusive and try different things and try to change your behavior is welcomed and rewarded I think we we have to acknowledge Gary that in this journey there's a place where organizations get stuck a lot and that is if we make the distinction between diversity and inclusion and we say diversity is a matter of makeup and composition okay we have that here inclusion if we say inclusion is a matter of belief and behavior then these are related but they're not the same thing and so one of my observations is, and you can you can react to this, is that many organizations have made great strides to diversify their employee population in terms of demographics and psychographics and cultural attributes, but they're not any more inclusive for it. So they've come some distance in the journey, but they're hitting the wall 
to become truly and deeply inclusive. And there's no one thing you do to get there, right? I think you're saying that. You have to keep trying, but can you point to anything that's been particularly helpful to to cultivate that inclusive environment that seems to be sometimes quite elusive and so difficult to achieve? I absolutely agree with what you said. And I, and I think that's why when I talk about inclusive leadership or, or the way that we've come to talk about inclusive leadership in my organization anyway, is really those two things that you've described. It's it's valuing difference, first of all, which in itself is a challenge because you know, it's easy to sort of jump to the you know demographics bit, and yeah, we got we got to move this needle in terms of our stats, for example, on, on demographics. But actually, underneath that is you know, do you really value it from a leadership point of view? And I think those thing, two things are quite different. If I'm honest, you know, moving you know the needle is not quite the same as actually valuing and proactively seeking out dissenting views or a different lived experience or whatever so there is a fundamental kind of question underneath that about it's because it's kind of like be careful what you wish for right you know if you kind of like um change all the all the move the needle overnight but then you don't actually truly value the difference then actually that's the worst position to be in right that's the worst position well and you've created expectations that you're not going to fulfill so you're in a tough spot yeah, totally. So, so, I mean, I think back to, to to your question. I mean, I think I don't think there are any silver bullets with any of this sort of stuff. I think that it, you know, particularly for leaders that have perhaps operated in more stereotypical, homogenous environments or whatever in the past, you know, I think we all have to, they're all going on a change journey. I'm one of those people, right? So I think that there is a lot of introspection and challenging of self about, do you really believe in the, in the value of difference, you know, genuinely? And what does that mean in terms of the way that you carry yourself as a leader? How are you going to feel about welcoming difference, you know, and is that going to threaten the way that you've trad trad traditionally led in the past, for example? So it, it kind of links to my first point, really, about, you know, acknowledging your journey as an individual, because I think that having this capacity to be introspective, questioning, challenging of yourself, I think, is really a key part of this journey. And maybe it's the, the most important bit, because I actually think that the part about creating an inclusive environment I actually think that that's, you know, that's where we've actually got a lot of good tools and techniques and things that can help people, you know, so the concept of psychological safety, for example, is, you know, is great as in terms of helping people to practically understand, you know, what day-to-day -day behavior is going to give you the best chance, let's say, of having and creating an inclusive environment. And don't get me wrong, I think all of that obviously involves behavioral change as well. But there is, you know, or there there are a number of things that you can point to that can help people, you know, it's not quite training, but help people to learn some new techniques. I think, I think a little bit like um, you know, like Daniel Goldman on emotional intelligence always talks about you can learn emotional intelligence. I love that idea because it's actually I can I can understand what it looks like, I can think about my behavior and I can start to change it. But I think the, the kind of challenge to your belief, do you really believe in the power of difference? I think to me, that's one of what's buried underneath it, one of the biggest challenges in the whole inclusive leadership journey. Yeah, I think you're getting to the kernel 
Gary, when you say that, do you believe in the in the power of diversity, and are you willing to to act on that? That that gets to the kernel. That's outstanding. Let's go to your third lesson learned. I should say. Yeah. So so, so my third one is kind of like um, again, this might sound blindingly obvious, but I but I passionately believe that curiosity is today's superpower. Really, in terms of constant learning etc etc you know and i probably don't need to expand too much on why i think that because the pace of change is unrelenting and everybody knows all that but my my kind of thing that i've come to realize about curiosity in that is probably twofold actually one is that reflection and having quality reflection time however you do that is really the facilitator to learning so that's the first kind of part of it I guess the other part of it is really about the humility that you have to have to employ that, right? So, you know, to me, this is a really interesting area because um, we're so busy doing whatever we're doing these days that, that that it's it's rare, let's say, that people really take quality time to reflect. And to me, that's where most of the learning is. So, you know, I, 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 that's why I'm a big advocate for things like reflective practices like coaching or, or mentoring or however you do it, even if it's self-reflection, journaling, whatever it may be. Because I think that we have a, and this maybe goes back to my aversion to education earlier on in my life, but I think we have a tendency to think that if you give people information, that's learning, but it's not at all. You know, learning is actually about, you know, maybe it is assimilating some information or it's having a concrete experience, but that's nothing really with that that's shallow learning without the actually what am i what, what am i thinking about this what am i reflecting on that you know what meaning am i making from that and what does that mean in terms of what i'm going to try next time and then you go again so, and that's the you know experiential learning cycle so my my, my kind of lesson learned there really um <laughs> hard learned lesson in my career anyways that You've got to be curious about stuff because you've got to continue to learn and unlearn. But but actually, you've got to make sure that you make time for quality reflection because that's where that's where you actually learn the most. The thread that you've pulled through all of your lessons learned from the very beginning, and even with your own personal experience, at least what I'm gathering is reflection, 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 reflection. It takes the learning deeper. It allows you to accelerate in your effectiveness. Sometimes we just, we take far too long, but you keep advocating <laughs> throughout the conversation for reflection, for time, for systematically doing the introspection, challenging yourself, asking the questions. Do you incorporate this into pretty much everything that you do? Reflection, reflection, reflection. That's what I hear. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've probably come to realize, you know, at this stage of my career that, you know, reflective practice, whatever you want to describe it as, is 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 super important to me at a personal level. But I think it's actually, to be honest, the thing that's helped me to navigate throughout my career. And I reckon I was doing it super, you know, amateurishly, maybe early on in my career by like generally talking to people. What do, what do you think about this? You know, that would have been my you know, probably go to style to make sense of things. But, you know, I, I think that as I've gotten a bit older and I've learned about different ways to reflect. So coaching, I mentioned, you know, I'm a qualified coach now that that's, that's 
partly why I got into it because I could see that there was a these sorts of things can offer you a good way to really think about making meaning from your experience. And to me, that's where I come back to the point about curiosity being a superpower. That that the curiosity bit is the first part of it for me. There's another link here to me about, you know, if you can figure out what drives your intrinsic motivation, which is back to loving yourself deeply, etc. And if you can end up working in a space that's similar to whatever drives you intrinsically, you're going to be curious. That's the first part of it, right? So actually kind of, you know, understanding yourself deeply that because it's easy to be curious about stuff that you're actually interested in. Imagine how difficult it is to be, you know, curious about stuff that bores you, right? But if you can kind of fix that bit, understand what what drives you intrinsically, then I think the reflective practice bit, as I said, is the bit that helps you to make sense of things and think about what you're going to do and then keep doing it. Gary, I want to give you the last word. So wonderful conversation, incredible insights. Final words of advice or, or wisdom to listeners out there. I think for me, in my experience, it's, this might sound really obvious again, but but work on yourself. I think there's there's such a, a value in knowing yourself, what drives you, what motivates you, and then trying to make sure that you put yourself into workspaces that align with that. Because if you can, you'll be you'll be brilliant at it. Other chances, you know, you, you will enjoy it. But I do think that there's an incredible amount of people that and I was one of them for a long period of time, do work and don't get me wrong, they could enjoy it. But, you know, they don't necessarily take the time to really reflect on themselves that deeply and work out that intrinsic motivation. So that, and that's that for me is the most important thing in terms of not just work, but, you know, broader life happiness, right? Because work's a, a big part of life. But but you know, if you can make yourself happier in work, a lot of it comes from that, in my opinion, figuring out yourself and what drives your, your intrinsic motivation. That's powerful. Work on yourself. That's an appropriate punchline. And uh, that's kind of the insight that wraps all of this together. So, Gary, I can't thank you enough for an incredibly insightful conversation. Thank you for sharing these these gems that have come out of your experience very very grateful to you no problem thanks tim thanks for joining me today on the culture by design podcast be sure to subscribe and listen to new episodes every week and if you'd like to see more of the work we're doing go to leaderfactor.com 